Welcome to the Brains Podcast. I'm Julian Shapiro. Today I'm doing the intro alone because Cortland is vacationing in Italy. So this episode has two of my favorite people, Tim Urban and writing teacher David Perel. What are the writing techniques that each one of us is using to write popular online content? Tim and David definitely know what they're doing here. Tim might actually have the most popular personal blog on the internet at Y, and David is the most popular writing coach of this modern content era that we're now living in. So without further ado, here's how the four of us create content that hopefully keeps folks glued to their screen. I'm trying to start a blog. Right now, almost all the posts and things that I've written online have been on this forum. And what I found is when I sit down to write a blog post, it takes me like hours to write like five paragraph. On my internet forum, I can just literally bang out my thoughts. It's super rough. I know it's going to my community. Yeah, there's 100,000 people there, but like I just don't care. And it just comes out like water. It's so easy. And then what I've been doing is taking the ones that are like really good and sort of editing them and putting them onto my blog. It's, it's, it's like the concept of speed running. For me to overcome any procrastination, I just try to get the first crappy draft out of my system as super quick as possible. And anytime there's any friction, I just put two fill in later. And I just blitz through anything that would be frictious uh, for me to think through. Then I have something. It's a terrible first draft. And that's the whole point. Because it is so much easier to have something bad and iterate to good than it is to have something good from scratch because our brains are much better biologically wired for looking at a bad thing and identifying the contrast. What would have made this bad thing a little bit better? And if you just start from scratch, you're waiting for like inspiration to strike you. And that's not at all how our brains work. Have you ever had to get something framed? You're listening to the voice of David Perel. What happens when you go, for someone like me, I don't know what I'm doing. So they're like, what do you want? And I'm like, I have no idea. And what the person who you're working with always does is they go to the back and they get up frames with a bunch of different colors and they get different things to mock up and then they put it all in front of you. And now you're like, well, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like, oh, I like this one. Okay, let's go figure this one out. Actually, I want different kind of wood. And Five minutes ago, I didn't even realize that there was dark wood, there was white light wood, there was ash, there was pine, like didn't even occur to me. And now I can inch towards whatever the optimal outcome is. I love that. Tim, going back to the book, would you ever run for office as a means to see through some of your ideas? Or do you think the greatest point of leverage is just, hey, there's a lot of people reading this. This is the way to actually get people to think more clearly about the things I care about. You know, it's funny. There's been a, there's, there was, there was a moment when I actually was like, maybe I should like, um, run for office and, 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 and not because I, I have no interest in being a politician. The thing that the impulse was, it annoys me how, how much better candidates could be campaigning by like, so if I ran just basically it was because I want to like show how a campaign could be run. You're listening to the voice of Tim Urban. So what I would do is I would, first of all, like I would come up with my, you know, 20 policy positions and I would write a blog post on each and I would have a YouTube video with a whiteboard on each and I would be funny and normal about exactly. it. I wouldn't be stiff. Right. And I would be totally myself and I would be very open about, I don't know actually that much about these three sectors. So, so I would definitely want to hire, uh, you know, I'd want to appoint people to help me with whatever, whatever. I don't know. Basically. And then I would, for debates, I would openly welcome debate. I would take any other politician running against me and I'd be like, Hey. Let's do a debate on YouTube. You, you know, we can agree on the rules together. I'd be civil about it. Now, again, I'm sure this is easy to say from where I'm sitting and there's all, all, all kinds of reasons that this would not work somehow. But 
it's it's more that I or, or this is also I've also for the same reason wanted to like start a political party not, not cuz I really like mainly because I want to set up the debates the way I like them between the candidates and the nomination process mm -hmm. and I just feel like there's so many ways to do things new so all that said, I, I will never run for office. I have no no interest <laughs> in being a politician. I think it just sounds awful. I think it sounds like such a constrained way to get your thing across, like to convince people. You, you, you're so constrained by all this other stuff, like having to campaign and having to be within the tribe of, of the uniform you're wearing or the tribe itself. If you're a Democrat that's put, that's, that's not being a, uh, a loyal Democrat, you will get destroyed by the Democrats, you know? And if you're a hardcore Democrat now, you're now you're being a tribal, you know, that's not what I, that's the opposite of what I want to be. So for me... Um, Right. It just sounds awful. I, I kind of think a a, a, a a media platform like I have and like like you all have is a pretty pretty damn good way to 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 you know to spread ideas that you care about and um and you know I, I look I I'm writing about this stuff now that has a lot to do with politics and because my my uh one of the you know blog posts made the rounds last year about this I got invited to speak um at a, at a conference in front of 50 congressmen you know so i'm like okay so i'm, I'm i can influence politics in different ways um without having to go and like spend all my time raising money and campaigning and like not doing what i what i want to be doing tim's campaign slogan would be new policy every sometimes exactly, <laughs> exactly. yeah yeah so i have this question because i i think that like uh, obviously, like of the four of us, I'm the only one who doesn't really have a personal blog. My blog's very business related, but I want to start a personal blog. But also, I'm like looking out into the world, and I see all these other platforms. There's TikTok, there's YouTube, there's Twitter, where it just seems easier to reach like a ridiculous number of people. And I'm questioning myself, like, am I dumb for wanting to start a blog as a way to influence other people and, and share my ideas? So I'm curious, like, why do you guys write essays? Why do you blog instead of doing other things? Well, for me and I'm gonna to speak directly to your personal blog point, I think you write a personal blog to think better and to meet great people. And when it comes to why you should write, writing, I've had a podcast, I do video, I am on, I'm working on a documentary right now. I'm in so many different creative mediums and there is no medium that helps you think better than the written word because somehow the written word forces you to not lie to yourself and it forces you compared to other platforms and it also forces you to just think very rigorously about things and so i think that's sort of the internal reason to do it but the other reason to do it and this is where i thought you were going to go with i see all these other things on the internet you know this is the sort of is the internet saturated point tyler cowan is this great line where he says you know it's the weird that's truly normal in some sense we're all weird and what I love about the internet, this is why I teach this, it's because when you write on the internet, you realize that a lot of the things that you have, your personal obsessions that are super niche, super fringe, where like you go out in the world, you, you know, you'll just rave and rant about these things. When you're hanging out with normal people, they're like, shut up, dude, we don't want to hear about this anymore. We, you know, you talk about this all the time. Somehow on the internet, once you put these ideas out there, you now have this abundance of people who want to talk about those things. And I think that that, both of those things, meeting people, thinking better, that's why you start a personal blog. So when it comes to influencing the world, yeah, I think that starting Netflix documentaries, building a big YouTube channel, those are the places to go. But when it comes to meeting people and thinking better, personal blogs are the way to go. David, our, our mutual friend, Matt Kobach, he said, writing is a lighthouse for meeting like-minded people. And that's what I love. 
It's actually the extension of this is this ranch thread I, I wrote, which is I want to go live in the middle of nature, have a whole bunch of acres, have a whole bunch of guest homes and get awesome folks to come and do like riding retreats and whatever without the sort of Kool-Aid and poison. But that's kind of that's kind of the dream is I, I want that that proximity to people who I just find so interesting. It's funny. I um I wrote something once uh, a while back about how the reason I like um, having a blog, I think of it like flypaper um, where it's like. Um, I put this thing out there and this swarm of flies on the internet are flying by and it, and most, you know, someone reads it and they're like, okay, if they, if they anywhere from, I hate this to, I, you know, meh to even, you know, I like that. They, I like that people, they, 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 they're, they're gone forever. Almost always. It's the, <laughs> it's the, oh my God, that was, I love that to have around. Now I wrote that and some people pointed out. It's not a very nice analogy for your readers that they're flies and it's kind of like gross. And, like, <laughs> and I realized this whole time I should have been using the lighthouse thing the whole time. But, but to me, it was like, it's like, it's like the, the, end, the end image is a bunch of like dead flies in the paper. It's kind of like, yeah. but the point was that the way I look at it is, you know, if I, we did this uh, in-person event called Wait But High um, a bunch of years ago. And um, and I just, I, you know, I went to, a, did events all around the world on this one day. And I, I went to one in Central Park and there's a few hundred people there and I just chatted with them. And, I love chatting with all of them because I'm like, of course I do. Like, you are the 1% of people who happen to like <laughs> my writing enough to stick. So obviously we're going to get along, right? And and um, and and so it's a great, it filters, it's a great way. It filters um, the you know, people who you would be friends with if you met them to you. It's this incredible situation for, you know, for meeting great people. I went to the one in New York. It was super fun. Oh, awesome. <laughs> did, you, did you say hi to me there? Was it, was it uh, in Central Park? Yeah, I was in Central Park. We we're hanging out by a tree. Okay, you're wearing a white. Well, shirt. there you go. So I, I, I then you're included in the the people that I probably love. Yeah, the people there. were great, but that's what's that's what's so good about the internet. I mean, I think that you can think of the ways that the internet has made society better is for the first twenty years, like it was just an incredible matching tool. You know, Airbnb people who have houses that are vacant with people who want to travel. Uber, I want a ride. Hey, here's a ride. Like eBay, originally with Pez dispensers. I actually think this is the best one. Like my middle school principal, he was obsessed with Pez dispensers. <laughs> hundreds and hundreds. Where did you get these? You know, because I got sent to detention a lot, but that's a story for another time. So it's like always in the principal's office. And he would just have all these. So, you know, eventually I started talking to him. He was like, well, you know, what I do is I go on eBay and I just look for Pez dispensers that I really like. And crucially, there wasn't a Pez dispenser store uh, in San Francisco where I grew up. But if you go on the internet, there's all kinds of Pez dispensers. And it's the same thing. For whatever it is that you are over the moon excited about, there's probably not somebody within a mile, maybe one or two, who is excited about that as you. But on the internet, there's a flood of people. The way I think about it is if you were able to get all those people to show up in person, Tim, uh, like David, that speaks to the fact that there are two types of followers. You can either have a labor follower or a mind follower. So a labor follower is someone who's following you because you're doing work for them. You're putting in the labor. Example is you're creating a whole bunch of interesting stories. You're like BuzzFeed. You're just putting together listicles. You're putting together summaries of breaking news stories. Those are labor followers because you're pre-digesting news for them. But then there are mind followers. These are people who are preferentially attached to wanting to know Tim's perspective on something. And that is a way healthier type of follower. So when we're writing blog posts every sometimes, like David, me and you do, which is very sporadic because we wait to be high signal, 
not just high volume, people sort of build this sort of reflex that when we post, it's likely worth their time. And I think having mind followers, that's the type of persona that will actually show up in person. They actually give a shit. You're not just a mouthpiece for the news. So that's something I've been thinking a lot about. I've been trying to figure out what's the strategy for maximizing the degree of affinity among the mind followers. I think there's a combination there. There are people who do both. For example, I read Matt Levine's newsletter. He's an excellent financial blogger. And part of that is really news. Like I'm getting to know what's going on in the financial world. And that's replaceable. I can get my news from anywhere. But part of that is that Matt Levine is a very individual, unique, special mind. And what he brings to that news is irreplaceable. Like there is no other mind like Matt Levine's. When I read his writing, like if he were to go away, like there would not be a replaceable source. And so I think he is kind of getting like this mind following that you're saying. Like there are people like me who are actual true Matt Levine fans. Like I would show up at a Matt Levine conference if he was in town. But on the flip side, I think by attaching himself to this sort of like fount of ideas, which in his case is the news, um, it's kind of like a hack for him to always know what to write about. Right. And he doesn't really have to sit down and be creative. And I think when I look at all of you, you're all very creative. Like you guys all sit down and come up with these concepts where I'm not even sure where they come from, but you have to do that labor. My, my equivalent of that is uh, Marques Brownlee, the, uh, the, the tech reviewer. I would say when I thought about him because he is... He is a labor in one regard, which is that I will go instead of instead of reading all about the specs and you know I'll just go for him to tell me you know what so what which which one of these should I buy and he's done all this work and he'll you know but he's also irreplaceable in that there's a lot of people doing that but I care what he says a lot more because I just trust his way of thinking more than that's why he's like the most popular tech reviewer because he's just he just um, there's something is he's a he has a mind following as well so but I I think your point is fascinating and it's making me think about. Um, the times when I, I think early on when I was trying to, you know, get get a following, I, I think I was going for the labor things more than I um, should have. Because I at the time I was thinking, oh, you know, I'll do the best, um, you know, World Cup starting. Let me do the best uh, um, the explainer, you know, of, of how, you know, of, of what to do here. And I and I and I, those would do OK. But I started to realize later that's not really my strength. Like, it's like I'd rather put my time into something that um, that 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 is uh, uniquely something that I would I would do. Tim, when you were in those early stages, how much did you think about sort of cultivating your personality on the page? Because there's a certain Tim goofiness and stick figure drawing that is so much more refined now than it was five, six years ago. I, I actually feel like I want to get back to that even more than I, I do now. I think with my current thing, I'm, it's such a serious topic that I'm often like having to remind myself. Julian, can I, can I ask a quick question on the theme that you were mentioning? Because I'm just generally curious, like all of you guys have written a lot, and so have I. Um, what is like the best thing you guys have written on the internet? Like if you think about the post that you're most proud of, the essay that like was really the pinnacle of what you've done, like what was the best thing and why do you think it was the best thing you've written? I think to tie a bow on these themes, for me it's a piece called Why You're Christian about how much secular ideas of human rights, how those are downstream of Christian influences. And it was one of those pieces for me that was like 10 out of 10 difficulty. And so I think that there are a couple things that came to mind that just riffing off some of the stuff that we've spoken about earlier, which is I said, this is my experience here, and I'm going to actually bring myself into this post more than I normally do. The second was I spoke to different 
friends and a religious scholar to make sure that when I was making assertions that they were accurate and that I was making narrow claims. And ultimately, I think I pulled that piece off and it's so far outside of the scope of things that I know about. And that post got more positive responses than everything I've written in the last three years combined. And I think it was because of the the me that was within it and just the extra checking because honestly, I was quite scared of the topic and the reaction. And probably also the resonance. Like you're talking about something that I bet a lot of other people deeply question. And now you're articulating what's somewhere in a cloud in the back of their minds. And when I think about the things that create dopamine hits, one of them is an elegant synthesis of what was sitting in the back of everyone's minds. Right. That's kind of what stand-up co comedians do. They, they, it's an elegant synthesis mm. of what everyone experiences, but no one has articulated in their head, or that people don't realize that is a common experience. And um, it's yeah. We lost David to the to the army, but he'll be back. <laughs> I think his connection dropped. Um, all right, Cortland. Just got a notification that David oh. is David is calling in with a question. Right. Hell yeah, yeah he's oh, calling in with a question. David, what's on? You have a question. Long time listener, question was first time high. caller. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, David, okay. we're talking about making things memorable uh, and, and different things that you can do to like make sure your writing sticks with people. I'm curious if you have any thoughts about like how do you make your writing stick or is it even something you think about? Yeah, so definitely something I think about. Actually, the best advice I got on this was from Boris Johnson, of all people. And <laughs> what he talks about is he talks about a lot of the famous speeches going back to Churchill. And he quotes, you know, we shall fight on the beaches, we shall fight on the landing grounds, we should fight in the fields and in the streets, and we should fight in the hills, as this famous Churchill speech. And he says, well, what's the lesson? Why is that line so famous? And what he says is that you should talk about real things in the world. And if you can make your writing vivid and make people see, unlock the electricity of sight, which is what Robert Caro is going for. Whenever Robert Caro, you know, the great American Pulitzer Prize winning biographer, whenever he does his interviews, the question that he's always asking is he'll go to the house, like the childhood home of Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm -hmm. And he asks one question over and over again. What would I see? What would I see if I was sitting there? And this is what I'm right. always thinking about. How do you make people see what it is that you're saying? And you do it with metaphors. You do it with analogies. And that's why these famous speeches, they're talking about things so often that are concrete and tactile. Because it's easy for people to then go from an abstract word on the page and recreate that image in their mind. It's it, this brought up for me like um, the same thing you said about Churchill. I mean, one of Reagan's most famous lines, and you know, love him or hate him, this is a very powerful statement. This is his la like one of the last things he said in, in his uh, farewell address, and it's so famous. Everyone remembers this. It beca it's become a, a, a term that is just household knowledge. And you know, he said, "I've spoken of the, sh the shining city of uh, the shining city on a hill all my political life." But I don't know if I ever communicated what I saw when I said it. But in my mind, it was a tall, proud city built on rocks stronger than oceans, windswept, God-blessed, and teeming with people of all kinds living in harmony and peace. A city with free ports that hummed with commerce and activity. And if there had to be city walls, the walls had doors, and the doors were open to anyone with a will in the heart to get there. Um, it's the shining city on a hill is such an emotional um, 
vivid image for so many, you know, Americans, you know, especially the very patriotic kind. It's like the ultimate. So, I mean, it's just a perfect example of exactly the kind of thing that Churchill did. And these two, of course, were like, these are, these are, these are legendary communicators, both of them. And it's this very vivid, it's this kind of thing you could, you know, that's the kind of, um, that's the kind of story you would tell to a little, a little kid, um, you know, to a, to a, you know, and it's not that different. There's, um, uh, like a lot of aphorisms, um, and maxims and sayings are also super memorable and they have exactly what you two are talking about, like a story, but then like this very vivid imagery. And so my favorite example of one of these is sour grapes, which is a phrase like I never really used. I didn't know what it meant, but then I heard the story behind it. I'm like, I've never forgotten the story? that story. The story is there's a fox and he's hungry and he sees some grapes hanging from a vine. And so he runs to get the grapes, but they're too high. He can't actually eat the grapes. And so he backs up and he runs and he jumps for the grapes and he misses them. He's just short. So he's like, all right, I'm going to get these grapes. I'm hungry. He runs again, jumps to the grapes a little bit closer, but he just misses them. And he tries a third time and he realizes he just can't jump high enough to get the grapes. And so then he looks around and says, those grapes are probably sour anyway. And then walks away <laughs> and doesn't eat the grapes. And so sour grapes is basically this idea that like, you know, you basically you pretend not to have wanted the thing you, d- you wanted because you couldn't ha! eat it. And like that applies to a lot of situations right. in life. And it's such a memorable, vivid story. It's like a grape. Why would a grape illustrate this idea? But like right. anything, anything concrete and specific, especially attached to a story, is just so easy to remember. Wait, can I hear Tim talk about this? Because, Tim, you go off in La La Land. I mean, I remember, you know, in your TED Talk, you go, a better feel for India. You know, yeah. I, I laughed so hard when you said that. So, like, how do you think about this? Yeah, I mean, if there were only 600 people out there on the Internet, you know, you better do something appealing. You know, what, what, what can appeal to two-thirds of all people or half of all people? But with six, four billion people on the Internet, um, you, especially when you speak English and you write in English, now you may have two or three billion, you know, potential readers. Um, you can, you can appeal to 1%, but, but 1% really specifically, like, wow, the 1% of people are even a 10th of a percent of people, one out of a thousand people. If one of our thousand people happens to think, oh my God, this guy is like exactly interested in what I like. And I love the way he thinks. And I love what he's interested in because he happens to be just mm-hmm. like me. We're talking about 3 billion English-speaking people on the internet, and you're talking about one-tenth of a percent. That's 3 million of those people. And the thing is, those 3 million, a lot of them are going to find you, because when one of them does, they're going to send it to their other friend who just happens to be. And, you know, when they, and when people do find it, they're going to stick. So the the point is that I, I, the way I've always thought about it for that reason is I'm writing for um, a stadium full of Tim's picture a stadium where everyone's me right and i, I say, okay well actually this group I, I i know exactly what they like and so therefore um if i am in the middle of a post and some really fascinating tidbit comes up i'll throw it in a footnote or i'll throw it into the into the writing because um probably my my crazy readers will probably actually like it as how now that said it's not like i don't filter anything there are plenty of times when i think Okay, I'm interested in this, but let, let's just move on because I'm still trying to make a piece of art that is, you know, that that, that is not just a total stream of consciousness. <laughs> right. So there's a balance, but I think you know you might be able to get get away with a few more of these diversions than you think, and there might be a lot more people who like them than you might realize. And I made this mistake on my podcast where I spent too much time trying to think about what others wanted, and I then attracted a lot of people who wanted this thing that I wasn't that authentically into, and then you kind of lock yourself in a box where. On day zero, you don't have an audience. You can write whatever you want, but on day a thousand, you might have a huge audience. And if you try to change, they're going to say, "What are you? What are you doing? Like this isn't what I signed up for." And so, if you're not authentic from the beginning, I think you end up building an audience that keeps you from being authentic. That, that's a really good point. I, I always tell people who are starting out, 
it's a big it's an it's actually a big mistake to disregard your your true interests and try to uh, build a big audience of you know at any cost um, because now you've talking about the flypaper uh, you've attracted a bunch of flies who actually you've attracted the, so now a bunch of people who would have loved what you did what you really like they came by saw something different and left you know I would say the same thing by the way about dating um, you know when I um, in my single days, I tried to, you know, as I, as I got more experienced and like, I think wiser about it, I, I started to be like flagrantly myself on right. first day. because, <laughs> because, um, if I'm not myself, someone who happens to really, who would have really liked true me, she now doesn't know that she thinks this isn't the guy for me. What, what a huge miss. And meanwhile, person who does like me now, well, they like this, this, this weird, like, this actor version of me I've just put on for no reason. So I started just being like, you know, here's the full completely, you know, honest self, which is definitely going to not appeal to a whole huge handful of people, but whoever it does like great, you know, and, and, and it doesn't also, it becomes less, I don't know. It, if you get rejected, if someone's not into you, you, you can just start, you can just take it. Like it, it just wasn't like that. That person ha that's not what they were, they're looking for. Like, that's okay. You it know? just wasn't right. a match. It, 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 I don't want them anyway. I don't want someone anyway who was, who would have met, met the real me and be like, nah, not for me. Good. I'm glad we know now, you know? It's also so much more efficient, Tim, because before you get married, she'll find out who you really are anyway. Right. So why not just <laughs> save all the wasted time and let her decide right now? Is this yeah, what she wants? Someone who would meet real me on date one and say, eh, not for me. If I, if I, if I um, trick her and, and make her think I'm for her... Um, now we are officially a bad match. So that's either going to end up, yeah. we're going to get attached which, as people do and just end up in a kind of a bad marriage because we can't afford, you know, we can't deal with, you know, now they were attached. That's not good. Or we have some horrible breakup. Like it, it, what's, you have to think hard about what the end goal is here. Um, and uh, yeah. And, you know. Cortland, didn't you want to talk about blog design before we wrapped up? I'm just starting my blog. I'm curious what you guys think. Like one thing that I've done is I've tried to have just straightforwardly a distinctive design for how my blog looks. Like Andy Hackers is a dark blue website with brightly colored icons and like light text, which seems trivial, but like I don't think anyone ever goes to Andy Hackers, reads a post they like, then comes back a few weeks later, reads another post they like, and doesn't think, I've already been here before. And when I go to Wait But Why, it's like, I don't know another site on the internet. That no, like it, it's, not a, it's not pretty. It's, it's Tim. You had this amazing quote last time. You're like, it looks like a baby yeah. druid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Something yeah. like that. It's a, a baby like shat on the page, and there we go. <laughs> All right. So before we wrap up, we have some questions from Twitter. What do you guys do to rewrite your writing? On wait, but why? I, I had ten chapters that were totaled a hundred thousand words on wait, but why? That's long. That's a full book length. And that was only about a third or half of what I wanted to say. So, I, A, I knew I had a length problem here. So, I'm just going to write a recap for people to refresh. And also, if you haven't read it, here's what the major terms mean. Here's what the, you know, and it's going to be 5,000 words, you know, 3,000 words, which, uh, you know, it'll be, it'll be like a chapter uh, as opposed to a book. And you can read the chapter and then you can move on to the rest of this. And that 5,000 ended up being... 30,000, because I'm me, and I, I was like, well, this and this and this, and that whole first 100,000 words, which is supposed to be part one of the book, I just used the 30,000, and it was, and I realized it lost almost nothing, and I cut it from, a, if I just tried to cut the 100 down by cutting, it would have been painful, ah, painful, oh, I don't want to cut this, ah, and I would have gotten down to 92, to 88, but doing it that other way, I got it down, I cut it in, in, in less than a third, 
And it suddenly was so obvious, that was obviously the better product than the 100,000 words thing. And by tricking myself, like you do with the Twitter thread maybe, like tricking myself into thinking I was doing a totally different exercise, I ended up writing like, you know, now it's the first third of the book. Um, and it's the appropriate length of the first third of the book. And it was only because I, was, I thought I was doing something for people who had basically already read it. I love that. That's exactly what I do. I'll write a blog post, try to condense it into a Twitter thread, then I'll delete the blog post and replace it with the thread. Because the thread is the tightest, most hooky form that I could have written, and everything else usually wasn't necessary. All right, last question from Twitter. Do you guys want to make films or write stories? Yes and yes. Um, uh, for, for, um, the thing that excites me most of those two right now is fiction. Um, I, I've been on a sci-fi kick and reading, reading-wise, and I'm like, itching to try it i mean it's like it's but you know i'm so comfortable with my nonfiction writing and uh, that it's 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 weird feeling frightened you know you know creatively kind of like out of my comfort zone with writing but this is a whole different planet and that's how i feel so um i love the concept of being you know free of real research and real you know uh, having to be accurate you know which is which is a lot of it's a, it's a constant burden to just be able to kind of be free free and and take the thing where I want it to go and create a world and create characters and try to, cause I, the thing I love about writing in general is I like to, and I like the feeling of taking a reader on a journey that's so fun for them. Mm. And the ultimate journey, I think, you know, for a reader is, is a, is a great piece of fiction. And so I want to try it. And I, I might try it with short stories first because a, it's a way to you know test a lot of little things uh, and get better, get some reps before I kind of go for something bigger. Um, but also just, I like short stories myself. I like reading them. And so, I, 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 that is an ambition I want to try in the next couple of years. Uh, David, what's on your mind? I refuse to answer. Tim's answer was too good, and <laughs> the good, podcast eh? needs to end there. All right, <laughs> guys, uh, I love you both. Appreciate yeah, you both. Thanks so much for coming on, guys. All thanks. Right. That was a blast. Thanks, guys. You can catch Tim Urban at waitbutwhy.com and check out his book on Amazon. And you can find David Perel and his writing course at perel.com. That's P-E-R-E-L-L.com.